With these shocking events at the US Capitol last week, the role of platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and Google's YouTube have been brought sharply into the spotlight. What is their place in the media landscape? And will investors continue to love them even in 2021? You're listening to The Business Extra, coming from The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is my co-host, The National's Future Editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. So obviously everyone knows that Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, other social media platforms have been much discussed in the wake of what happened in Washington. Of course, a heart-rending end of the week last week, and we were still grappling with it. But they've been holding the mic for the last decade, but they sort of were caught holding the mic on January 6th, seemingly. So we're sort of parsing that out and trying to see what that means in the year ahead. So we have one side of the conversation, which is society, politics, the role of social media platforms, other digital platforms uh, in politics, what they mean. But then we have the other side, which is the popularity of technology stocks and shares. These companies, Alphabet, which owns Google, which owns YouTube. Mm -hmm. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. And investors continue to put money into them. Sure. So the question becomes, if the role of these companies is being scrutinized and potentially with regulation or self-regulation, they change, will investors continue to see this as a, a good a good place to be putting their money? Right. And in a year that we just left where the economy is seemingly in shambles, these are runaway trains of value and market cap. So what does that mean? And with gathering clouds, what is it going to look like going forward? But let's take a step back now. With us is our colleague at the National, Cody Combs. Hi, Cody. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, thanks for being with us. You're going to walk us through the dramatic events of last week. Well, yeah. And first and foremost, let's take a look prior to last week, if we can. You have both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party holding hearings in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, Apple, they're the punching bags. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans can agree on one thing there, and that is that these companies are a problem. But here's the catch. The Democratic Party says, okay, these companies are a problem because, well, first and foremost, antitrust reasons. They're anti-competitive. They're getting far too big. And secondly, user privacy. We think that they're not respecting user privacy, and that's a problem for us. There's also the Russia investigation. We won't get too much into that, but that's a problem for Democrats. For Republicans, the issue is a little bit more simple. They say these companies are too powerful because they're not letting our ideas, our voices, our ideology get heard. They both come together in these hearings. They're punching these companies for different reasons, but at the end of the day, they both realize that Twitter, Facebook, Apple... Google, to some extent, are far too powerful. Now, fast forward to last week. This all comes to head with two things. The insurrection, yes, and Georgia. The Democrats, against seemingly all odds, take two Senate seats in Georgia. That gives the Democrats control over the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the White House. That's huge from a regulatory standpoint. And it would be naive to think that these people at Facebook, Google, and you know, Apple, for that matter, didn't look at that and say, oh, wow, you know, Democrats can do whatever they want now. We have to really toe the line. It would be naive to think that that didn't cross anybody's mind. The insurrection also. Also, you look at this whole situation and these companies, some might say they don't have a conscience, but they do. 
they look at this insurrection, they look at the violence, they look at the broken glass, and at the end of the day, they said, we've got to take some ownership over this. Four years, all these tweets, we've got to take some ownership over this. And that's where we get to where we are, which is Trump getting the boot off Twitter, when we can also argue about whether or not that comes too late in the game later. But he did. He got the boot. That's a huge, huge thing. Well, this is what's triggered now this introspection from all quarters about social media. There's those cheering Twitter on. There's those saying deplatforming President Trump is too little too late. And there's others that are looking at the big picture. I think we're looking at the big picture. This did not begin with President Donald Trump. Um, his term in office, I think, has accelerated the conversation and, and perhaps made it more extreme than it was five or six years ago. But if you look at what you know, another important story, which is the discontent over WhatsApp uh, changing its privacy regulations, WhatsApp owned by Facebook, and people saying, well, what's this all about? You're suddenly going to sell our data or use our data to try and monetize this platform. That's got nothing to do with Donald Trump or the Republicans or the Democrats. So we have, we have this, this big landscape that has really emerged only in the last decade. And we're asking ourselves, is it working? Is it helping us? What should we be doing with it? And in the meantime, their value, thanks to the stock market, just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And to your point, Cody, they are very, very powerful. And I would also say that these companies are very powerful. We've never seen anything quite like this, but these companies also get humbled very quickly for different reasons. You look at Kodak 40 years ago, Nobody would have thought that anything could touch Kodak. It's, for the most part, gone. You look at the Bell system. People thought that was untouchable, which was the Facebook of its day. It got broken up. So these companies, they can come and go at the crest of a wave. They're powerful, but I think they realize they're also vulnerable now. I mean, Facebook itself is, is putting a lot of effort, and I assume money into its own campaign, saying that we need to change internet rules. And there is an um, interesting aspect of US legislation that uh, allows companies like Facebook to avoid some of the responsibility, I use that word um, in quote marks, that you know, TV networks, for example, or radio stations or newspapers must take on for their editorial content. And Donald Trump has actually campaigned um, to remove that protection, um, but has been unsuccessful. Uh, to make that happen. However, to your point, Cody, I think Facebook and the other companies see that there is a momentum and they have to get in front of it. So things will change. The question is how far, how quickly, and and will it really make a big difference for us as individuals? I think what we're seeing now is, so it's been a war fought on many fronts and the battle really came home vividly in the nation's capital and then on platforms that were homegrown from the United States of America. So they're actually now having to grapple with illegal activity hiding in plain sight right in their own backyard. And so that's where I think we are starting to get some momentum on actual reforms within the companies. But then, Cody, yes, to your point, democratic control means they got to play nice with the new home team. And so I'm really curious to see what 2021 will look like for tech. So I talked to Neil Campling, head of research at Mirabout securities to talk about what that's going to be like. So Neil, I want to talk to you about forecast outlook for 2021. In terms of best performing tech stocks, will any of these big companies be affected by the gathering clouds of antitrust, censorship, the issue of deplatformization, or in Google's specific case, a trade union? 
I think um, platforms are critical to the, the way that big cap tech stocks work. Um, scale is one of the most important things in the tech universe. And from a user perspective, ease of use is the most important aspect. And ease of use is made possible by integrated seamless platforms. The question of antitrust, however, is something we have to be aware of for 2021 um, because I think primarily antitrust enforcement of big tech is one area where there is broad bipartisan support across the houses in the US. Um, so we do think the Biden administration is likely to urge antitrust agencies to take an aggressive approach uh, on the antitrust side, just as the Trump administration did. Um, there will be some platforms, I think, primarily that will make it tougher for dominant platforms to use their power, to use their um, high market caps uh, to acquire smaller companies. That will be more challenging in the future. So to dig into Facebook, Google, Amazon, who are really in the crosshairs of what you're talking about, Twitter certainly to a lesser degree, but they are part of the deplatforming conversation that we're having right now. So who do you think stands to lose the most this year? Or are they all relatively well insulated since this is antitrust, it's a single risk? We have known from the past, particularly with the, probably the highest profile example is Europe going after Microsoft and the power that Microsoft had um, through obviously owning the operating system um, and ubiquity across their platforms. What we did find from that example is that uh, often it is after the fact that this occurs, and it's normally through financial penalties. That alone will not stop the power of big tech uh, moving forward. The biggest risk across the big cap tech band as we see it is probably for Facebook. Because if the FTC wins its case against Facebook that it's trying at the moment, then Facebook certainly could be broken up. Now, the way to think of that is because if you broke up the separate pieces of Facebook into the core Facebook and WhatsApp and Messenger and other some of the services, then in reality, Facebook's platform of integrating everything together has kind of crept to hide the fact that there is um, a slowdown in the use of the core services. So what Facebook hasn't done well is to create a digital ecosystem made up of a suite of services. I would personally argue. Describe for me what is a digital ecosystem. A digital ecosystem is effectively something whereby you can, uh, you can buy something online, you can listen to music, you can interact through messaging, you can receive video feeds, you can buy a game, you can play a game, all on one set of services. It's a 10 cent platform, for example. Or if you are Google, you might be doing, you might do a search and then you would look to, uh, to, to look at ways of watching how a game is played on YouTube. It might lead you then to go off and buy the game on the Android store system. And then you play the game on the Android device and you might then go off of that game to buy something else that's, um, that's uh, shown to you within the game. So this kind of ubiquity that you're describing actually demonstrates how much bigger these big tech companies still have to go. Absolutely. Um, there is, uh, in many ways, people look at the uh, revenue per user that a particular platform has, and 
various estimates would say that on different platforms, they could be 3 to $5 a month. Perhaps the best example of a digital ecosystem with the power of that system is if you look at the gaming market. The gaming market is the biggest form of media globally. It's $170 billion of revenue per year. The biggest gaming company in the world by revenue is Tencent, who has uh, you know, lots of different games. But the third biggest gaming company in the world is Apple. And Apple makes no games whatsoever. They're the third biggest gaming company in the world just by taking that fee on the app store from you buying and playing those games. So it's a multi-billion dollar game, um, gaming industry that creates these ecosystems, but also creates huge revenue opportunities for the companies that have the scale and the billions of users. So in a case of any of these businesses breaking up, they still have a lot of rope to work with too. Many of them do, absolutely. When you look forward to 2021 and what's in store for shareholders in FANG companies, what are you predicting? I will predict that there will be a lot of noise uh, around potential antitrust uh, practices in 2021. I would suggest that some companies will will be more insulated than others. I suspect that um, Apple should be well insulated because you can't break up the iOS services from the iPhone. I think Amazon is well insulated because I think it'd be very difficult to break up AWS from within the core of the platform offering of Amazon. I expect Facebook could be at risk of the FTC and 46 state attorney generals uh, accusing it of monopolistic practices that unfairly stifled competition. So I do think Facebook is the most at risk in 2021 from the headlines of government interactions. And Google, similar to Facebook, could also face uh, issues with breaking up uh, YouTube from the core search, allowing for other search vendors um, on on other platforms. However, um, the power of the Google algorithms probably protects it more than, um, say, Facebook uh, and their uh, digital ecosystem. I've seen some chatter that Jeff Bezos would be wise, maybe, to spin out AWS from Amazon and sort of beat regulators to the punch on this. Do you have a thought on that? Certainly, as far as Amazon spinning out AWS in terms of into a separate company or into a listed vehicle, the potential, given the huge growth rates that AWS enjoys, 40% top-line growth and mid-20s operating margins, potentially means that some of the parts in Amazon could be higher that Amazon gets as a standalone company today. Um, that is in contrast to the way we view Facebook, where we think that some of the parts would be less than the company is given today. That was Neil Campling from Mirabeau Securities talking to Kelsey. Um, Kelsey and Cody, I'm lucky in this situation that I have two Americans with me after the events of last week. And it, I'd love to hear from both of you now that perhaps the dust has begun to settle a little bit. Um, how how you think things move on from here in ter- in terms of we've got a new president coming in um, and what what the outlook looks like for 2021 with a pandemic and there was a lot of optimism with the vaccines that the economy would pick up that things would pick up but do you feel that we've entered a new a new a new era I follow Scott Galloway who's a marketing professor at NYU um, and a really outspoken critic of big tech. And he pointed out in a column this week 
that the top news on Twitter 24 hours after the insurrection was that Elon Musk was now the wealthiest person in the world, outpacing Jeff Bezos. And I think we have to really take a hard look as to how much will really change this year as a result of the tragedies of last week. And that alone made me feel really, um, really sad. So I think we have still a lot of reflection to do and a lot of research and reform to get done. Uh, and we'll see. I'm slightly more optimistic. That's good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> somebody has to be. In that, I think the Democratic Party realizes how fragile it is to hold on to the House, the Senate, and the White House. I think they're a little bit more appreciative than they were perhaps last time around. They spent a lot of political capital on the Affordable Care Act, which turned out to be a big boost over the long haul, but it hurt them in the short haul. And I think they do realize right now they're at a unique point in history where there can be some major, major changes in terms of legislation. I'm slightly more optimistic that we will actually see them in terms of a more progressive tax, some other things, just the tip of the iceberg with the progressive tax. But I really think they're going to be a little bit more appreciative this time around and try to pass some more comprehensive legislation going forward to really seize this moment. We'll see, though. A lot of people are not as optimistic. This is a tough job that Joe Biden has won at a tough point in history. It is a scary time. Uh, good luck to him. Well, before the election, we were talking to um, analysts and they were saying that the best scenario was a, you know, a blue tsunami, uh, the Democrats winning the White House, um, Congress, all of Congress, the House and Senate, and how we laughed that that would not happen. Well, I did. But um, now we're in that, to your point of being a bit more optimistic, and that's not to dismiss your fears, Kelsey, but that's the scenario now that has actually transpired. Of course. And that is not to say I'm, I'm always optimistic. I'm the resident optimist here. But um, just that that news cycle and that shift of wealth overnight was a real just, doesn't that just capture where we're at? That top news on Twitter after something like that happening is Elon Musk's wealth. We just, I feel like we're just in a twisted place right now. Well, it's obvious, it may be obvious to say this, but I think it needs to be said. Um, paper wealth isn't real. It's what the stock market says. And tomorrow, the stock market could say something considerably different, up or down. And uh, the digital life that we are uh, involved in, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, equally is not real. Um, and actually what happens in the physical world, whether it's, as Cody was saying, new legislation, whether that's economic um, or for climate, which is far more urgent right now, or whether it's to regulate big tech, um, will be of more significance than what you know is trending on Twitter. And as somebody who's really not on social media, boy, oh boy, do I agree with that. Thank you very much, Kelsey Warner, Cody Combs. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. 